0: A few years ago, I shared with you a, a stat that I thought was a, a great stat about our country and our culture and where we were at. And that stat said that, especially our, the younger generation, they had been disillusioned by all the material things that they had grown up with. My kids have not been disillusioned by that. I'll share that with you. But they haven't found the joy, the meaning. And so they're collecting experiences. And as I read the article, and the result of the research, I was like, wow, this is cool. This is, this is the way it ought to be. As I look back on my life, there's not a whole lot of different gifts that I remember that stand out. My first iPad, my kids bought and gave me an iPad, and there was a tablet wrapped up. And I'm never one to have loud faith or make known my wishes, but occasionally I said, Boy, that would really be cool to have an iPad. And when I opened up this box, that was, looked like it was going to be an iPad, there was a pad of paper inside that had iPad written on it. Happy birthday, Dad. That iPad, I have no clue where it's at, but that memory, that tablet, I still have. I remember Christopher and I, we, we ziplined several miles across the mountains. Watching his face and the pictures and video I have from that. What a cool experience. Taking Andrew for the first time to go out fishing. And if you know our oldest son, Andrew always knew a better way. We're out in the middle of the lake in the canoe, and he says, that, That's not the way to do it, Dad. I go, Oh, it's not. He'd never cast a spinner in his life. I said, well, you show me how. So he cast his brand-new spinner, and it just went flying out the middle of the lake. He went, go get it. I said, My name's not Fido, you know? And we still laugh, and we talk about that. I remember an experience when I was a student at Bible College, a friend of mine, oh my goodness. We had so many experiences. We're in the mountains singing together one time and slid down a rock slide into a cold pool of water, and a guy named Rory ran off with all of our clothes. That was an embarrassing way to be left, two young preachers. I'd like for one of my best friends I've ever had in my life, Daryl Simica Dement, would you stand this morning? They're here visiting with us today. Would you give them a big hand and welcome them? I love you, bud. You really honor. I could go on, but it would embarrass both of us, you know, so I won't do that. But Daryl has been a pastor and a music pastor, and they're kind of vacationing here in Michigan and uh, was with another one of our college classmates this week. And I'm so glad you came to worship with us today, Daryl. But it's those experiences that I've collected over the years. It was Amy when we first adopted Amy. And the trauma that she had in her life, the only way she would go to sleep at night is laying on my chest. So I would hold her on my chest at night. I was the only one because of the trauma that could bathe her and dress her for those first few weeks. Watching her grow to love Becky and those memories and those experiences of being walking, and Amy, as she was able to transfer that love and affection to her mother and hold her hand and trust her and talk to her. Benjamin, when they were little, Ben and Amy didn't get along very well. Becky called me one day, and I came home from the district office, and she says, Benjamin needs some daddy time. And I pulled in. I had a maximum at the time, and I remember I pulled in, and, and just as soon as I got in the garage, he come bursting out the door, got in the front seat, spread his legs as far as he could, and went, no Amy. <laughs> just that experience. One time I had 67 students in Baroloche, Argentina. Beautiful, beautiful place in the mountains of Argentina. We all went to a ski slope, and our insurance would not allow me to take them snow skiing, because Argentine ski slopes didn't have the safety things that we have. We were a mile up the mountain, and there was a place that you could rent. They called them fanny sleds, and it's just a little piece of plastic, and you can put them between your legs and pull it up like this, and you lift your feet. I never knew human beings could travel that fast on a piece of plastic. Well, we're having so much fun, and when we're probably a quarter of a mile from the bottom of the ski run, the kids decide we're going to make a chain. Well, I'm getting to the back of the chain. No way. I had to be at the front of the chain. I will never forget 67 kids behind me, including my wife. We're flying down the mountain. And I didn't mean to. It was a mistake, but I dropped my feet. And when I dropped my feet, 67 kids buried me in the snow. I thought I was going to die. And when I go back to Georgia, and we were honored at a camp recently for a youth camp, those kids talk about that stuff. And they remember it. And life is experiences. And I'm not just saying this, but this morning, I think you were really experiencing the love of God, because I could really hear you singing loud, and I'm standing in front of Daniel playing the drums, and sometimes I can't hear anything but our drummer, but I could hear you singing this morning, so I snuck a peek, and you're singing and lifting your hands We're experiencing the love of God together. And you know, this morning, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about three things God wants you to experience. But I'm not talking about experience just for the sake of experience. All of these experiences are meaningful in my life sometimes as a charismatic or a Pentecostal, people will say you're just about experience. Well, that's not true. I know for maybe some people it is. But I want to talk to you about a biblically and a theologically informed experience of God this morning. So that when we pray for somebody to be healed, we're standing on solid ground. When we Minister in the power of the Spirit. We're standing on solid ground, not as charlatans trying to work up somebody's emotion, but the reality that there is a being, uncreated, that exists outside of space and time, and He loves us, and He sent His Son in order to be able to adopt us into His family, that God wants us to experience the reality of His presence. This is not about living for experience. This is about living for God and experiencing the presence and the dynamic of God in your life. Would you like to study that with me this morning? Would you like to see what He has to say about that? Then would you stand and let's pray. Father, in the precious and the holy name of Jesus. We want to look at just one passage of Scripture this morning and and ask you that you would open our eyes. I'm so grateful for that aha moment with Becky. But as I stand here this morning, I'm praying for an aha moment, Lord with every single one of us in this room today, with those that are listening in online, God, for every one of us to experience you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, if there's anything, if there's anything that I, I covet and I crave for this church today, Lord, is that they would know you and the power Of Christ's resurrection today. So I ask you, God, as we talked about last week, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and open our understanding that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. One passage of Scripture before you're seated. It's an unusual passage for Paul. It's the only time he writes a sentence like this in all of his epistles. And there's a reason to the Corinthian church that he closes this out like this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. Now, notice in this passage, it's very unusual for him to say Jesus first and then the love of God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. See, I told you Paul was a southerner. Turn around to your neighbor and say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you today. Would you do that? And you can be seated this morning. Becky and I have had some memorable and wonderful experiences throughout the years, none more memorable, none more memorable than our wedding night or the birth of our children, none more memorable than some of those times when we have been in, you can be seated, when we've been in prayer about something very personal to us. and. Then we'll get a phone call, and somebody will say, and we've never told anybody about it, and someone will say to us, you know, I was praying for you today, and I just had this check that the Holy Spirit wanted me to call you, and they would share a passage of Scripture or pray with us about the very thing we've been praying about. Those experiences, she and I relive, and we talk about them. And we know that for the future, whatever life holds for us in the future, especially as we get older, that we can continue to count upon the grace and the love and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in the church and in our family and in our marriage and with our children. There are a lot of things about God I don't understand. St. Augustine once said that if we could understand Him, He wouldn't be God. Once a little boy, as he was walking along the beach there in North Africa, a little boy had dug a hole and was bringing a little bucket of water and pouring it into the hole. And Augustine said to the little boy, said, son, what are you doing? He says, I'm pouring the Mediterranean Sea into this hole. And he laughed at the boy and says, son, don't you understand? That little hole can never contain the Mediterranean Sea. And he says, as he walked along laughing at the boy, he said, suddenly the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said to him, you can never contain all the greatness of my love that I want to pour into your life. Isn't that powerful? How God sometimes will just take the simple things of a child to confound some of the brightest and the smartest among us there are a lot of things that I experience the benefit of that I don't enjoy in life. And I have to be frank with you, I I love a Michigan autumn. I really do. I just dread to see it come, because I know a Michigan winter is right on its heels. And I love the summertime best of all. I love being in the sun, running in the sun, working outside in the sun. I'm not someone that likes to lay on the beach and sweat. I see no purpose for that, but golfing in the sun, or swimming, I just love being in the sun. As I was singing about that this week, I thought, gee, I ought to look up some things about the sun. I know how far it is, and the circumference, but listen to what I discovered this week. And I don't understand everything I'm going to read to you right here. Now there are some scientists in our church that They understand this, and we've talked about this, but just listen to this. And you're probably smarter than I am, but did you know at the core of the sun, the temperature is 27 million degrees? I can't even begin to fathom that. The pressure is 340 billion times what it is upon the earth. And that at the core of the sun, this this pressure causes nuclear reactions that create protons that fuse together to create alpha particles, which are 7% less massive than four protons. I have no clue what that means. However, I do understand this, and the difference in mass, then, is expelled as energy. And then through a process called convection, you and I get to experience sunlight and warmth here upon the planet. And to be honest with you, I could care less about the things I don't understand, but I love what I get to experience. And sometimes in our 30 days where we see no sun in January or February, I long once again to experience what I don't understand. Does anybody in here get what I'm saying this morning? We've all been through that. Our second year in Michigan, I had to go to the doctor because I'm never depressed, but I was depressed. I told Becky, I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm depressed. She says, You're never depressed. I said, I know I'm never depressed, but I'm depressed. What are you depressed about? I said, Everything. She says, You need to go see a doctor. I said, I'm not going to see a head doctor. She says, No, just go see the doctor. So I told my doctor, and he says, oh, that's easy. He says, you're experiencing light deprivation. It's seasonal affective disorder. It's called SAD. I said, I'm sad. He says, go home. Sit in the sun for two weeks. I love that kind of prescription from my doctor. So I went home, and I golf for two weeks with my relatives, and I was on the lake, and I experienced two weeks of sunlight, and I was happy again. I don't know what it is about the sun, but it produces in us these, these happy feelings. We experience them. We don't understand it always, but it happens because of a lack of what we need in our life. But everything that I've just told you, I don't need to understand that in order to get a tan. I don't need to understand that in order to enjoy the light and the warmth of the sunlight. And so when I read to you about the grace, the love, and the fellowship of God this morning, you don't have to understand everything about God to experience God. I'm sure the apostles themselves didn't understand everything about Jesus, but they certainly experienced His love and His grace. Can you say amen to that? And you see, sometimes people will come to me that I build relationships with in our community They say, I don't get the Trinity, especially my, my Muslim friends who will talk to me. I don't get the Trinity. I don't understand what you mean by that. How can God be three and be one? I go, I don't understand it either. But understand this, God lives outside of space and time. We're trying to impose upon God our limited understanding in order to grasp who He is. And if we limit ourselves to that, and, and God can be explained, then He's not God. But somehow or another, God reveals Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not like research and marketing and sales But it's just who God is. He's one, but for us to understand Him and to grasp Him, He reveals Himself. And it's not necessary that you understand that to experience the power and the love of God. And recently, as I shared this with one of my unsaved friends, tears began to form in his eyes, and he says, oh, I would like to believe that. And you see, for me, I see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his life because we've gone from a mocking and a denial to now the Holy Spirit touching his heart. He's experiencing experiencing God, and tears are forming in his eyes, and he's no longer mocking. He says, oh, I want to believe that. Friends, never count God out of the equation. Even the lost can experience the grace and the love and the fellowship of our Father. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? So God, I believe, wants you, wants you. And that's an important phrase that I wrote there. He wants you. We all want to know what God wants us to do. I prayed often for people to know the will of God, to know should we get married, to know should we adopt, should I take this job, should I move? There were people in the video just a few moments ago that I thought of. I prayed with them about things they wanted to know before they made your your decisions because they want to please God. God wants you and me to experience the grace of the Son. He wants us to experience that, to be able to not just know it in our heads, but to feel and to experience. Two weeks ago, I shocked some of you, and you came to me and and when I told you, I said, if you could see into my heart, you would never listen to me preach again. If I, if I could see into your heart, I'd never have a cup of coffee with you at Starbucks again. And some of you said to me, but pastor, I was never a bad person. There's no reason to ever be ashamed to have a coffee with me. Or pastor, you never were a bad, you never did these things. Why would you say that? And as a pastor... It broke my heart. It didn't make me happy or glad, but it caused me to realize how little sometimes we grasp our need for a grace, and why John Newton would pen those words about grace being amazing. Because even we have become convinced sometimes that we're basically good people, and there is goodness in people. But friends, understand this. Sin has destroyed. Sin has destroyed our lives. It has given a sense of pride that somehow or another God didn't really need to send His Son, because when we say that, we're denying our own need for God's grace because my sin helps me to see what Christ really did. If I wasn't that bad a person, God could have said, there, there, Denny Benny, it's okay. We can just go on from here. There, there, that's no big deal. You went from sandbox to sandbox looking for reality. You never had any coke come out your nose except when you burped wrong one time. You see, we misunderstand the grace of God. If His sin was not that bad, there would have been no need for God to have sent His Son and crushed Him on the cross for your sin and my sin. There would have been no need for Christ to have hung there. Jesus' cry on the cross, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? It was not that Jesus was afraid of death. It was not that Jesus was even afraid of suffering. But the wrath of God against all sin was poured out upon Jesus so that you and I could be born again. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve this relationship with the Lord. Chuck Colson, in one of his books, was describing a time, if you don't know who Chuck Colson was, and I realize the older I get there are people sometimes who don't know these persons I call out, but Colson was the hatchet man for President Richard Nixon, and went to prison for a while during the Watergate scandal, was marvelously born again, became a passionate follower of Christ, and spent the rest of his life ministering in prisons. But Colson was invited to address a group of Wall Street tycoons, and he talked about our total depravity. He talked about our sin, and all of a sudden these tycoons were getting nervous and clearing their throats. And finally one of them said, Mr. Colson, surely you can't believe in that kind of thing. And Chuck Colson looked at them and said, not only do I believe it, but I experienced it. So one of the businessmen looked at him, and he says, Mr. Colson, are you saying, are you saying to me that unless I commit my life to Jesus, unless I am born again, I won't go to heaven? And Colson looked at him, and he says, as much as I fear that I may never receive an invitation to have the opportunity to speak to you again, I must. Must be honest with you, that unless you confess your sinfulness, unless you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can never be born again, and you will never go to heaven. And some of the men guffawed, but it was that man then who got up and came to Colson and said, may I speak to you privately? And there Colson led him to know the Lord, and he became one of Colson's most committed supporters in the ministry. Friends, hear me this morning, never be a ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, never be ashamed of the cross of Jesus Christ, and never, ever, ever deny your need of the amazing grace of God this morning. Never. You see, sin condemned me, but grace gave me hope. Sin pulls me down and threatened to destroy my life, and grace gave me life. Sin robbed me of all of my joy, but God's amazing grace fills us with joy, and we can experience the peace and the love and the joy of God this morning. It's why Paul then would write these words to this charismatic Pentecostal church who were enamored with signs and wonders, who were enamored with miracles, who were enamored with tongues and things of that nature, but for them experience mattered more than truth, and so they ignored some of the grossest immorality that's not even fitting for me to speak of from behind this pulpit, so they ignored the divisions that were threatening to rip their church apart, And so Paul wrote these words, for Christ didn't send me to baptize. And the reason he said that was only because there were people bragging about who baptized them and they were creating cliques around that. It would be like if you were saying, I'm of Pastor Rick or I'm of Pastor Corey who generally do our baptisms around here. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news and not with clever speech for the fear that the cross would lose its power. And the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it is the very of God. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say that it's all nonsense. Friends, your friends, your unsaved friends may not understand it now, but you experience grace. You experience the power of being born again, and you share love with them, and you will watch as you, as I have illustrated with one of my friends, who's gone from scoffing and mocking to saying, can we have lunch, to can we have coffee, can we have another lunch, until tears begin to form in his eyes. And he says, I want to believe. Friends, there is a God in heaven that is drawing him closer to the cross of Jesus Christ this morning. Never forget that. Andrew Clavin, some of you have read his mysteries and his books. Two of them have been made into movies. He describes his life as a secular Jew, as having been one of those outward bound television stories where you're dropped off and the only way you can find your way back is maybe with a map and some matches and twine. He said, I kept disproving God as a secular Jew. And he says... And then I finally, I began to disprove my disproofs. and let me read to you what he said. And he said, I eventually, I saw the pillars of the secular consensus, scientism, materialism, and rationalism were all made of sand, whereas the deeper I went into the experience of God, the more I found life and abundance as he committed his life to Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Claven, like Colson. Claven, like the businessman that Chuck Colson described. Claven, like my friend, found himself <coughs> warring against God. But the Holy Spirit keeps working in their lives. And God wants you to experience that grace. He didn't have to do it. We sang it this morning. He didn't have to do it. But God brought heaven down. And look at this. Look at this. God, not the church, not your baptism, but God has united you with Christ Jesus. God has joined you together. God has made you one. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. And Christ made us right with God. Now, listen... And I'm so glad, I'm so glad he didn't just say, I justified you. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about our justification. I love the doctrine of justification. I have loved preaching to you about justification. I am so glad he just didn't talk about justification. But then he says, he made us pure, and he made us holy. He made us free from sin. You are pure. You are clean. You are holy this morning. The old has passed away, and all things have become new. That's the grace and the favor of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's why Paul just kept driving this home to the Corinthians, as he said in the second chapter of the first book, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. The second thing I'd like you to see this morning is, God wants you to experience his love, to experience the love of the Father. He wants you, uh, uh, write it down, but then listen. He wants you to experience his love, to feel his love, not just know you're loved. To experience this. And I hope that the reason you sang so enthusiastically this morning, and those of you who had your hands lifted to the Lord in song as you worship, that you were not only loving God, but you were experiencing the love of God. I experienced that from your children. A lot of times when I'm walking through and I go in the back and I see the children, taught, they may be singing and they'll see me and and they'll come run and just hug me and they squeeze your knees so hard. They look at you and say, Pastor, I love you. And I love pulling them up in my arms and saying, I love you. I want them to experience it. He's walking to our nurseries, praying over our nurseries. It's all mine and Becky's prayer, the prayer of this church, that your children from the various early days, they will associate the love of God with this place. And so I walk into the nursery. And by the way, you ladies have got it made in that nursery with that big white sofa. I just wanted to lay down and take a nap when I went in there to pray. (laughs) Call it laying before the Lord, you know. Praying for those babies, they experience experience the love of God. And as I watch our volunteers on a Sunday morning, I watch a big Marine like Chad Lindemoot. Chad just ripples like a horse when he walks, you know, and drives a Corvette convertible. I mean, he's just cool macho all over, you know. His wife calls him a caveman. Chad goes in there and changes babies' diapers and loves those babies and plays with those children. They're experiencing the love of God through Chad. <laughs> Tina Turner, remember that song, What's Love Got to Do With It? I looked up this week, I just did a little Google search and I did, Love Is for Top Songs in America. Now, some of these I've never heard, but the titles are really interesting. Listen love is like a sugar shoe i have no idea what that is love is an iou love is a traitor love is a glass of champagne love is hell in a small hotel these are all songs that became number one songs love is groovy love is not one color child love is a four-letter word love is a five-letter word love is a funky thing Love is suicide. Love is for suckers. And I read these concepts of love and I go, no wonder people are confused about it. if these became number one songs in America. What's a sugar shoe? Please don't date yourself if you know that. But what is love? God wants you to experience his love. Love was God sending his son to die for us. Listen to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Say it with me. God is love. One more time. God is love. Now look at how God demonstrates his love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we, we, you, me, y'all, might have eternal life through him. This is real love. No, that gets my attention. I mean, it's all got my attention. God is love. This is how we know we love God. But now he goes, it's like, I want you to get, you know John's a good preacher because sometimes he says the same thing three different ways. He's saying, I want you to get that this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Do you love God this morning? Let me ask you do you love God this morning? Yes. As you sang that song, were you loving him? Were you singing to him with a joyful noise this morning? Thank you. Did you sing to him with a joy? Did you love him as you sang to him this morning? Yes. Some of you just lied because you weren't here on time to sing. I looked out there, and I didn't see you there. The altars will be open after church. You see, you've got to understand this, the reason you love God is not because you're good. You love God because He first loved you. Your love for God is the fruit of the root of God's love deep inside of your heart. And the love that I share with Becky and my children and for this congregation and for my lost friends, it's not because I'm a loving person. It's because love Himself dwells inside of us and has made us to be born again and adopted as children. Can we give Him a hand of prayer? Praise this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love that line that says, reintroduced his love, his melody sang this morning. So I really need to camp on this for just a moment, so bear with me. John goes on and he sees like, it's like me saying, pay attention, listen, because see how very much our Father loves us he calls us his children and that's what we are but the people who belong to this world don't recognize it that we are God's children because they don't know him now I want more than anything for you to understand the love of God and how that God has adopted you adoption is a family concept those are powerful words. It's Becky and I as adopted parents, I, and those of you that are adopted parents in this congregation, you know what I'm talking—it's a family concept. It's, it, there's something about choosing those children. I read a book a few years ago about a family who went to Russia to adopt two little Russian boys. And they were so stunned when they walked into the Russian orphanage and there those boys were lying in their own human filth and terrified boys and they were not allowed to touch them. They were only allowed to see them, and the next day, as the the adoption papers were signed and the the, the father had prayed over them, he says, I'm going to take you out of this. I'm going to love you. You're, You're going to be loved. You're going to have a mother and father who love you. Your lives will never be the same. He said, I did not realize how meaningful that prayer was, because the next day when they took him out of that orphanage and they brought him into the sunlight, those children had never experienced sunlight. They had only lived in a filthy, dim orphanage. They had never heard the closing of the door. They had never heard the sound of a car. Everything terrified the boys. Everything scared the boys. This was a brand new experience. All they knew was the filth of living in a Russian orphanage and the fear of deprivation. But he goes on to tell this wonderful story about how his children grew to be loved, how his children no longer hid food because they were afraid they wouldn't have enough food, how his children grew bold enough. He said, we knew we were making progress when they would say, they would ask us to stop at McDonald's and get them a Happy Meal. Friends, do you know how much your adoptive father loves you? He took you out of the human waste of sin. He brought you into the sunlight of his love, and he says to you, ask me for anything in the name of Jesus. We don't ask because we're good. We ask because God is love this morning. Hallelujah! That's what it means to experience the love of God. J.I. Packer, in a book I've recommended over and over to you, and Adam, if you would just go to the last paragraph of that quote, where it says, adoption is a family idea. The wise will read this book. But Packer writes, he says, adoption is a family idea conceived conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Look at these three words. This gets me more than heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. Let's read that together. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. That's your relationship with God. Let's read it one more time. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. To be loved and cared for by God is greater. Oh, may God bring that from here right to here. And then finally this morning, God wants you to experience, God wants you to experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Some of you I may have unnerved just a little bit talking about Miracles and signs and wonders. Talking to you about such things as healing. People who pray in the spirit. But I want to say to you again, don't be deceived by the charlatans who go on television. And some of the things that I see on television are nothing more than displays of flesh Sometimes they look more like a wrestling match than they do the move of God. But there is a biblically and theologically informed reason for believing the Holy Spirit is at work, doing today what he did as he did in the days of the New Testament. So when we gathered for our prayer service last night, I saw... I saw the work of the Holy Spirit as grown men were crying, veterans were crying, as they were praying for those with cancer, praying for those with needs. I looked at that in awe last night, and I thought, this is the work of the Holy Spirit." God putting such compassion that these men, rather than be at home in front of a television, these men, rather than going out to dinner somewhere, they're here to pray. As I watched ladies pray, I was seeing the power and the presence of God as we interceded. God wants you to experience His presence. God wants you to have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. As my earliest memories, and some of you probably remember this old song. I can remember them singing, and He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me that I'm His own. Those aren't just words for Becky and I. I pray those aren't just words for you, but you experience daily the presence and the love of God. Experience it in your life, and know the hug of the Father. He wants you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit that helps you to mature and become more like Jesus, so you're not worried about trying to show off for Jesus, you're just being who you are for Jesus, and somehow or another, God's Spirit flows through you, not only in maturity, but in ministry, and you find yourself going and serving others, you find yourself going and loving others and sharing your faith, and maybe from time to time, you find yourself praying for a miracle in somebody's life, and you get the joy of beholding that miracle happen. I have permission to share this story, but years ago, a young woman came to this church. I had been praying with a couple in our church who wanted to adopt, and Becky and I have worked with a lot of adopted families over the years, and we've been praying and interceding, and so we, this young lady came in, and she said, I need, I need to find a family for this baby. I'm a backslidden Christian, she was in a relationship with an evil man, and a wicked man, and a drug dealer, and, and she said, he's tried to get me to a board, and I'm just afraid that what will happen, if I need to adopt this baby out. So we told her, we'd just been praying, and so we were able to help her find a home, <laughs> And that child has grown up loved, and that child has grown up cared for, and that child has grown up praying at a mother and daddy's knee who knows that she is loved. You think that was coincidence, sir? You think that just happened, ma'am? Then you are as blind as a bat this morning, for there is a God in heaven who sovereignly directs the paths of men and women and brings them to the right place at the right time. And God has brought you here sovereignly today. Because he is ruler over all. He is controller of all. And God has brought you here today so that you will know God is not a concept. But you can experience the love and the grace and the fellowship of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit this morning. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy and peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I see that happen all the time at Woodland. People praying, people loving, people caring, people serving. So if you'd skip down to your growth work before we pray this morning, I'd just like to ask you three questions. Three questions I would like for you to ponder this week long. Ask yourself, why would Jesus die for your sins? Why would Jesus die for your sins? From time to time, I've asked the policemen who worship with us, why would you put your life on the line? You don't make very much money. There are people out there who hate you, despise you. There are people out there who would count it a badge of honor to kill a cop. There's music that glorifies that. Why would you put your life on the line? Of course, these men love Jesus. I've heard some of the most amazing stories, loving a community, loving people, wanting to protect. They're not just words to protect and to serve. I've asked soldiers, Becky and I were invited to do a series of services throughout the the military cemeteries in Normandy as I walked among those beautiful carved crosses and stars of David guy behind the scenes tours she and I did and conversations I made it my point to go home and find every World War II veteran I could and interview them why did you do it? One elderly man in Savannah, Georgia, cried as he recounted the landing coming off that craft. His body's being blown apart, wading through the body parts in the water. He said, nobody's ever asked me what you asked me. And there at Evangel Temple in Savannah, Georgia, he began to weep. He said, I volunteered because I wanted to protect my family and my country. He taught me so much about love. Why would Jesus die for your sins? Y'all come on up. That's a question you'll never be able to fully answer. But it's just a question, I hope, that will help you love God back and help you one more time to be amazed at his grace. Second question. Do these three words that Packer wrote, do they define your understanding of God's love? If not, that's why he brought you here today. Do closeness, affection, and generosity, do they define your understanding of God's love? Maybe in your small groups tonight, you can talk about, do these three words, do they define our understanding of God's love? Are you still trying somehow or another to labor under this concept? I'll never be able to do enough. I'll never be good enough. I need to do this. To, you don't have to do anything to earn God's blessings. And then finally, what are you doing right now, right now that requires the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? What are you doing at this moment? I mean, could you go on with it? If the Holy Spirit wasn't present, and we just talked about that in the first of this series, there's a lot of what I do. I don't need God's help to do it. I mean, human ingenuity can get a lot done, can it? I mean, let's be a human ingenuity can get a lot done with what God has given us. And so I have to ask myself from time to time, Denny, what are you doing that really requires the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? So I'm going to ask you, if you would, would you stand up and would you come? We don't do this often, but come and join me at the front of the church The team is going to lead us one more time in a song of worship. So just come. If you can stand, stand. If not, feel free to sit. But let's all come together. Lord, I pray for the presence and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be manifested among us. Lead us in a verse. Lead us in a verse of it. just take whatever it is that you might be struggling with or whatever it is that you might be dealing with and I'm going to ask you just kind of metaphorically lay it down right here at this altar and give it to Jesus this morning. Nothing can stand against His name. Nothing can stand against He may lead you through a fiery furnace, but he'll be there with you. He may lead you through a place like he led Job, but he will be there with you. And you will discover like those three Hebrew children, not only is God able to deliver, but you will come out bearing the name of Jesus. His praise will be great. And even your enemies will be forced to acknowledge that God is for you and not against you. And if you're standing here and I'm looking around and you've come to Woodland today and you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you just need to be reintroduced to His love, you've wandered away from, right now, you metaphorically just lay all of that down here at the altar and say, Jesus, I need you. God brought you here today so you could experience the grace, the love, and the fellowship of God himself. The Father, I pray these words over us. I pray them in the name of Jesus, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God, this is what you want for us. This is what you want us to experience nothing less than the grace and the love and the fellowship of God. And so I ask you now in Christ's name, shatter, Lord, every wall of doubt. Shatter, Lord, every chain of unbelief. Father, break every yoke of bondage. Have removed from every mind, Lord, that band that snaps, Lord, in place to keep us from comprehending how great your love is. And for those of us who love you, Lord, may we never, ever count it that, God, we love you first. We love because you first loved us. Now experience that in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. There is no rival to God. There is no power in hell. There is nothing that can separate you from him.